Hiya and welcome to another episode of The Jewel Case with me, John Darcy, every Tuesday evening from 8 until 9 on Lisburn's 98FM, Bangor FM and FM 105 in Downpatrick, my three favourite community radio stations in Northern Ireland. Yay! That's because I'm on them, obviously. <laughs> and uh, as usual, this goes out as a podcast as well. You can catch it on iTunes, Stitcher. So if you're feeling a bit left out and you've missed any of the old episodes with artists from around Northern Ireland, you can catch up there at, or at thejewelcase.johndarcy.com as usual we have a really special guest an artist based in northern ireland making some interesting work and tonight's guest is none other than peter wilson aka duke special duke how you doing hello i'm i'm doing okay i'm uh, quite sleepy today <laughs> it seems i should say we are recording on monday morning monday the 12th of december and uh, Peter, you have had quite a busy year, 2016, but a bit of a bit of an up and down year for a lot of people, a lot of big sort of worldwide events. How, how's your 2016 been? Yeah, well, maybe not as uh, tumultuous as the, the, the world as a whole, <laughs> funnily enough. Uh, um, yeah, no, it's been a it's been a brilliant year for me in, in lots of ways. Um, probably a, a year of change, I would say, because um, I suppose. Over the last couple of years, I've um, been actively attempting to move away from what I've been doing um, for the most part, which was recording albums, touring them, and generally being on the road a lot. And for various reasons, I've I've felt a a desire to be more based in Belfast and to spend more time writing and um, being involved in different kind of collaborative projects. some of which I've, uh, that kind of thing I've done before, but I, I, I've, I've, yeah, just felt a real desire to, to do more of that, really. So if for listeners who aren't aware, Peter Wilson, a.k.a. Duke Special, and actually some, pe- some people have mentioned this to me in conversation, the mm. Duke, Mr. Duke, Mr. Special, what do you... Uh, yeah, yeah, I've been called all kinds <laughs> of things, really, but... Peter's fine. Peter's fine for <laughs> now, yeah. uh, Peter Wilson is uh, one of Northern Ireland's um, most, most beloved, I would say, singer-songwriters, made a big splash with the album Songs from the Deep Forest, got massive um, radio play on, on the likes of Radio 2 with the song Free Wheel and Last Night I Nearly Died. This was the soundtrack to my teenage life. And yeah, what, 10 years ago when yeah. I was just about to, to leave school and me and my good friend Kieran Logue, also friend of the podcast, we were massive fans of Duke Special. Actually, around that time, I was starting to stop singing in my San Diego pop punk accent and starting (laughs) to sing in a Northern Irish accent. And people said, oh, you sound like Duke Special. (laughs) And that's what made me seek out the Duke originally. And we ended up going to, you you sort of had been gigging around Belfast and around Lisburn, which is my hometown, Mm -hmm. um, quite a lot. But it all seemed to come to a head on a massive triumphant climax at this Five Nights in the Empire series that you did. Sure. And you played Five Nights in a Row, each with like a different theme with an yeah. amazing house band. And that that was just like the highlight of my adolescence. It nearly killed me. <laughs> I bet it did. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I'm about to do it this weekend again. Well, only three, but um, yeah, no, it, it, it's funny because um, I suppose I'd been touring for a number of years before that. And it, it, it's that thing when artists are out touring and gradually making inroads into the in- industry, being aware of them. And yeah, I kind of uh, uh, 
kind of snowballed and it, it comes to this critical mass where um, suddenly it feels like you're all over the place in terms of people hearing about you and all the rest. And and I suppose that year was um, the year that album came out and, and it signed with like a, a record label, uh, which sounds really brilliant. And it actually was really brilliant because it was one of the last kind of independent uh, labels. And what they, label was that? It at was the time? V2, it was V2, called. yeah. So they, they kind of uh, had the, uh, the clout, enough clout to um, kind of make things happen and promote the record and, and, um, kind of made the album release uh, one of their priorities for that year and and that was I mean it was a really amazing experience and and one that I think has seen me um continue to there to be ripples from that yeah. you know um it's kind of that thing where uh I, I think it was around that time actually I feel like Northern Ireland started to get a lot more educated about the music industry like uh practitioners here like Nimic were running a lot of workshops and events and then that's turned into generator over the years um just a lot more awareness of what it makes to be an artist and I think at one of those talks over the years um I heard some industry expert from London of course from London uh say something like you know you only need a thousand core fans to make a living out of your music practice mm. And that doesn't mean MySpace or Facebook fans. That means like, you know, a thousand fans to buy everything you put out yeah. and that will keep you afloat. And I imagine the, the sort of the massive amount of press you had at that time yeah. sort of allowed you to sustain um, right through to now, I guess, like 10 years later as an, as an artist. Yeah, I, I think I think that's absolutely true because um, and a lot of artists will find this um, bands, you know, where you're, you're out. Uh, playing to maybe big venues supporting more well-known acts and you're gradually picking up fans who you know this first time they've seen you and, and they suddenly they start coming to your own headline shows and as you say press and tv and radio and all that kind of stuff um and that that's definitely been the case for me is i, I have a now like a, a core of a you know a, a probably a few hundred uh, fans who would be really interested in, in what i put out and um, yeah, I'm really lucky in that respect. Um, but yeah, it, it, things have really changed for me in terms of what I want to do. Um, I, I suppose 2009 was a really um, pivotal year because I did a play in London, uh, Mother Courage and Her Children. Mm. And I, I wrote the music for that and was in it for a few months. And um, that kind of, I suppose, switched on a, a light for me as, as to what might be possible with music, that it isn't just about getting stuff in the radio, but it's you can do all these other things with it and collaborate across different art forms. And and um, that kind of really changed how I perceived what kind of artist I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And, and that's kind of, I suppose, now the fruition of, of this year has seen that change happen massively. You know? So this year you are artist in residence at the Lyric Theatre. And like you say, in 2009, when you worked on Mother Courage, that was you sort of dipping your toe into a, a, a real theatrical show. But there were hints the whole way along in your sort of concert performances that there was this extra little performance element, maybe bringing out the gramophone to start a song and then yeah. singing with that. Or there was the likes of Chip, um, your super percussionist, talented yeah. percussionist uh, who, who made a racket, but also made everything very lively. There was sort of nearly elements of circus yeah. and vaudeville in yeah, there too. Yeah. So I think the seeds have been sort of there the whole time along. And now you're working on a major project with the lyric this year. Yeah. I, I think, um, I think that's right. The, the my attempt to uh, bring in visual elements into a concert. Um, I, 
I, I think it came from initially from survival <laughs> mode because <laughs> uh, being I didn't want to be perceived as singer songwriter per se. Uh, oh, that's that dirty word. I know. Well, <laughs> people immediately think, "All right, I know what that is." Um, so I wanted to create a scene uh, like theater where people walk in and they go, okay, ooh, what's going on here? And, mm. and they buy into the world that you're creating and that you're singing about. Um, I think I, I was aware of as well, that when you go on stage, you're, you are acting, no matter whether you're a politician or a, a vicar or, or sure. any, anybody that goes on stage, there, there's a, there, an amplification of part of them. And I, I, suppose I, I just recognized that and wanted to embrace it and hence creating like this almost character of Duke Special. And um, yeah, I find that really useful as a way of kind of getting in the zone to perform, but also um, increasingly now being able to leave that behind when I come off stage <laughs> is really, really important to me now. Um, but it, yeah, it was, I, I find it myself feeling very at home in the, in the theater because it's like this fantastic melting pot of um visual art of music of um of words um and the fact that anything can happen <laughs> like sure. it's very similar to a concert where you have to, you, you're reacting to the energy of the audience but also if there's mistakes dare i say <laughs> that you have to kind of um navigate those and and you can use those to your advantage so i find theater the world of theater very um, familiar in some ways and yeah so I've, I've really enjoyed kind of continuing in that. So what has the residency at the Lyric Theatre involved because I guess their last resident was I think playwright Owen McCafferty so that, that seems like really obvious so yeah. a playwright will go into a theatre and workshop some plays and maybe yeah. write a play or something. Yeah. What does a what does a songwriter do when they become artists in residence at a theatre? Well, um, I was commissioned to write music for a, um, a play with music or a musical. <laughs> um, oh, that's another dirty word, what? A musical? About, yeah, well, it, it's, I guess people have an impression of what, what that is, but I, I love more like Brecht. There was a darkness in that and a, a, it wasn't just jazz hands and mm -hmm. um, kind of people bursting into song uh, to express their feelings. But um yeah, the, the commission was to write a musical based on Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn. And that had come about because I'd um, come across the music of Kurt Weill and he died in 1950 um, before he'd completed um, a musical about Huckleberry Finn right. um, with Maxwell Anderson, who he wrote Lost in Stars with. Um, and I, yeah, I was really interested in this and wondered, uh, is that something that I could work on? And and I'd worked on um, Gulliver's Travels last year at the Lyric with um, a scriptwriter, Andrew Doyle. Uh, he's an amazing writer and stand-up comedian. And that went really well. And so I, I thought, well, we, we chatted about this and chatted with uh, Jimmy Faye at the Lyric. And the idea was actually, well, let's do something from scratch and, and a completely new look at um, Huckleberry Finn. So that, that's been the main kind of um, thing that I've been doing there and uh, have a little uh, writing room. And uh, yeah, so I've, I've done other projects throughout the year as well, but um, that's been the main focus. And today is the day we deliver the demos and the, the script uh, to the lyric, actually. Oh, wow. so um, Wait, am I holding you back? <laughs> no, no, it's, it, it's good. Um, but yeah, very, very excited about that. And, and the, the challenge, I suppose, was how do you take something which was set very much in an historical context and, and they, 
uh, it's seen as one of the greatest American novels of all time, but also it's very controversial. Yeah. The use of the N word is, you know, over a hundred times. And um, so what we decided to do was set Jim, uh, he was the runaway slave as, as the central character. And it's his memories and his friendship with Huck. And also we're looking at, um, you know, is it possible to have empathy for people who are not like you? And I think that's a really current and important um, topic today. You know, like it is the central theme is, is the friendship between mm -hmm. Jim and Huck and how that transcends uh, the, the correctness of the day and uh, how in fact it goes against the, the kind of moral of the morals of the day which you know huck thinks he's doing complete completely the wrong thing he's going to hell by helping jim yeah um, but he goes against that um and puts their friendship ahead of that and and his innate sense of justice and right and wrong you know really important message for today was always like we said at the top um tumultuous yeah. political things happening and this sort of rise of a and European nationalism and a nationalism in America as well, um, and what what that means for the future. So what? So we've got the demos of Huckleberry Finn and the sort of the, the, yeah. the draft scripts. Yeah. When is that likely to see the stage? Um, so we're hoping to workshop it in January, and uh, then it'll probably the following year. Uh, is, okay. So it takes the program events quite far in advance. I hear they do in the th yeah. <laughs> so uh, and. Uh, yeah, we want to get the casting right and mm. um, make it really brilliant. That's and so was the idea that it would be like a maybe run for a few weeks on a lyric and then maybe tour some other venues or it's, yeah. it's a, a lyric production? It's a lyric production and, and we'll see. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of it and Andrew's done an amazing job with the script and yeah. Sounds excited. really exciting. Is, is, are you going to perform in it? Um, I, I don't think so. I, I, one of, again, one of the appealing things about writing for theatre is that I don't necessarily have to have to do it every night. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I already, I, I think a lot of people who write stuff um, find this, you write something and then you're ready to go on to the next thing. Um, yeah. So in January, I'm actually starting to write songs based on the poems of uh, Michael Longley, a Belfast poet. Um, I heard him speak at um, something last year and uh, absolutely loved not only his poems, but just how he came across the, mm. um, there is just so, such a sense of um, this mixture of kind of innocence and mischief <laughs> in his poems and, and also um, just incredibly poignant poems about, about this place, you know? Um, so I, I, approached him with the idea of maybe responding to his poems with music and fortunately he was kind of up for that and uh, so that, that's my kind of next thing in. Michael Longley, one of like Northern Ireland's most important poets um, sort of during and post Troubles, part of that Belfast group with Seamus Heaney and Kieran Carson, all the lads sure. and ladies. Um, but still, yeah, doing readings in Belfast and that voice is so characteristic, like his voice. I'd love to hear that actually. If you're, is this the sort of thing that would turn into a record at some stage? Yeah, I'd really love to make a recording of it and it'll also tour in Ireland um, in the autumn time. Brilliant. See, I love I love this side of Duke Special. Like you're saying, you've dipped your toe in the theatre waters. But since then, 
your discography is littered with all of these different projects and the Huckleberry Finn project with the lyric seems just, you know, sort of part of your, your over now because you've done all these, I guess the wider term for it as a concept album, you could say, yeah. but you've done all these different projects that are led maybe by a central, maybe a researcher, an interest yeah. in say a singer like Ruby Murray yeah. or um, old songs from a certain period or a certain, yeah. certain genre. How, where, where did where did that all come from or was there was there an initial project do you think that started all this that got you out of the oh, I'm just going to write songs and tour like everybody else uh, well I think it was Mother Courage yeah. that, that started that um, and then I, I suppose artists that I really love like likes of Nick Cave and Tom Waits uh, Stephen Merritt they would, they would be people that would have um, uh, kind of been involved in theatre and, and other and other projects and uh, I was reading about um, Kurt Vile and reading just the, the kind of collaborations he did and, and setting poems to music and, um, you know, collaborating with all different kinds of people. So I, I just find that really inspiring and, and interesting. And, and I also find it, it's exhausting writing songs about your own experiences and feelings all the time. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I just find it a rich kind of... Um, way of being inspired the the other thing i find is is that even though you end up writing songs about other things for example it, um, there's an album dead called under the dark cloth and it was all songs based on um photographs of the three finding fathers of art photography which i knew nothing about beforehand <laughs> um but it, it seems quite an obscure thing to, to write about but you end up being drawn to certain themes and certain titles uh -huh. or people because something echoes in, in you as a writer. Um, so you end up writing about your own experiences and point of view and things that interest you anyway. Um, so I think it's just like a sideways way of coming at, at the same thing, which is ultimately your own experiences, your own emotions, your own thought processes. So um, I, I just, yeah, I, I personally just find it a, a kind of um, a good way of writing do you find like a, a some some songwriters or writers in general that it's sort of like a a cathartic process in terms of you know uh, one method of getting in touch with what's going on that maybe you're not attending to on a conscious level going yeah. on in terms of your emotions or your mental health yeah definitely um i i've definitely written a lot of songs in the past that i didn't even know that's what i was thinking or that it was, I kind of see the songs now as little boreholes that go down like wells into your um, inner landscape. <laughs> for oh, one wow. of a, <laughs> well, for one, one of a, a simple way of putting it. But but yeah, they, they are like little um, depth charges that, that kind of sure. plumb the, the depths of of what you're thinking, I think. And, and yeah, and definitely on a subconscious level, things would have would come out I think um yeah what was your first initial steps in music I said earlier like, I'm Lisburn's my hometown you're from around Lisburn too uh, well, right I was bo born in Lisburn yeah born in Lisburn <laughs> shout out Lisburn's 98 FM <laughs> lived in Seymour Hill until it was one I think and then moved to Coleraine and then down Patrick and then Hollywood oh and then jet Belfast. setter <laughs> yeah, yeah all, all the big all the big places <laughs> all those large towns yeah and uh, what was what was what were those early steps into music and was it piano at first yeah no it was always piano my um piano was in the house and all my family seemed to play and 
cousins and aunts and uncles. Um, so I think music was just always there and felt, I, I, from an early age, I think I found it a, a place of solace, a, a place where I connected with it on an emotional level, mm-hmm. far more than ever than on an intellectual level. Um, or kind of academic way, I, I, I just find it like this um, way of expressing myself and a safe place to explore and a way of being creative. And I, I, you mean, you're talking about mental health and I, I think being able to express yourself in, in some shape or form is, is just essential yeah. um, to, to being healthy, you know, and, and whether that's you know, it can be through music, it could be through working at something or, or being good at conversation, you know. <laughs> uh, um, but I, I think, yeah, definitely I find that a really helpful thing. At what stage did you start writing songs? And, or what, was it a gradual thing? Of, I know a lot of people who write songs, it started off with like changing the words of, yes. of certain pop songs and like making yeah. their own little remix versions of it in their head. Yes, I, I, wrote, um, I wrote new words to Jilted John's Gordon is a Moron. Oh, wow. Um, when I was about seven or eight up a tree in Down Patrick. So that was probably my first oh, attempt right. at songwriting. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Will we get that as a B-side someday? I hope not. Do B-sides still exist? Um, I, well, if you bring out vinyl, yes. Oh yeah, I guess yeah. so. I'm just thinking like, it used to be such a, such a standardized thing in terms of like your scheduled releases as a, as a, you know, an artist signed That's to right. a label, you would get yeah. your B-sides and then you'd have your greatest hits and then the second disc might be a B-sides and rarities comp. Yeah. But yeah. when everything goes on like Apple Music or Spotify, is there rarities? Um, does that still happen? I suppose it's the unreleased, the archive. Just <laughs> the really the, dodgy demos. Yeah, yeah. The stuff that <laughs> there's a reason they weren't on the album. You know? um, so that was like maybe a, an, an early up the tree sort of, um, you know, Maybe play, word play and, and yeah. punning sort of in your head. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely there, there's a, a a line I would draw where every, anything before that was pretty awful, <laughs> and that I would never ever want anyone to hear it. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's something again. I, I really love about um, my job. I guess is, is that I, I, well, it's it's frustrating as well because I, I, what I'm trying to say is I, I always feel like a, I'm only learning yeah. um, I, I find the act of collaborating with other songwriters really interesting because um, they'll always have something or do something in a certain way that you, you've never mm. come across before so I, I find that a, a brilliant way of adding to your own kind of toolbox um, sure. is being exposed to that and, and feeling out of your depth and um, but definitely uh, uh, like I still write some awful songs um it's not, not hard to believe but um yeah you know there's what makes an awful song do you think oh gosh just or a, what makes a song awful i, I don't I, I don't know but i think when you when you write something you're you're happy with you, you can't i mean there are definitely things i was saying earlier i've started um teaching one day a week up at queens and and part of that's going to be looking at writing songs and there are some intangible things that you know that almost that magic magic dust which i think is about um there's a simplicity which is really difficult actually to do right Uh, there's like a almost precious carelessness about good songs yeah where you've 
poured your heart and soul into it and it, it may come out you, you may write a song in, in five minutes sometimes, but mm -hmm. it's that thought process and the all the really duff ones behind you <laughs> that make that song appear. Um, I, I think it is a, like I know Nick Cave writes nine to five every day and treats it like a, you know, a very workmanlike way of yep. writing. And all, all writers are different, but I, I think that speaks volumes in terms of the, the, the sweat and the, the effort that goes in, you know, and you hear about Leonard Cohen, you know, just agonizing over, over lyrics. And um, I think there's so much editing and recrafting, recrafting that, that um, eventually yield good songs, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, we could talk about songwriting for hours, I'd imagine. I don't want to go too deep down the rabbit hole. <laughs> but yeah, there is something about that um, strange separation between how much background work goes into, well, any creative process, but songwriting, like, you know, say painting or whatever, is an accumulation of years of intake as yeah. well. All yeah. the stuff that you really like, all the things you've been absorbing all your life, and then your your practice of all the stuff that you output, and that all blends together, and then you have to make something that sounds like it just came out of your mouth just there now, because that's what a great song for me is, something that just sounds like it, you know, it couldn't help but escape the vocal cords. Yeah. And I, I think it's, there's a risk involved in good songs. I think it's about revealing something, mm. um, you know, it's daring to say something maybe um, that can be very simple, but actually is, you know, is maybe a difficult thing to say or an honest thing to say. Uh, and then knowing when to walk away from it and go, okay, that's it. I'm not going <laughs> to meddle with this anymore. You know, I, I think some of my favorite songs are, are just, um, yeah, there's a real simplicity to them, but um, you know, uh, someone—it's cost someone some something to to say that. You know, you alluded to that you're you're starting your entry into tuition <laughs> and uh, becoming an, an academic, so to speak, oh, uh, teaching songwriting <laughs> and performance at Queen's University. I'm getting in my Belfast. elbow pads shortly. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> you have to get the leather elbow pads for the blazer there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like you said, it's kind of hard hard, I guess, to teach these creative practices. But I mean, there's this this sort of the heart and soul part, but then there's also the craft part. What do you think you'll be bringing to your students to impart on them after your whole career of learning about this day to day and you know putting out albums and it seems like you've been non-stop for over 10 years yeah well yeah i think anyone um doing this kind of thing you're always having to keep creating and reinventing and and mm -hmm. move, you know it, it it is definitely a journey that um that you know it's a, a path you walk along and, and you, you're absorbing new things all the time and then you want to kind of understand that and then um kind of um sounds a bit weird but give birth to your own <laughs> versions of what you've experienced and, and how it's influenced you I, I definitely will be coming to that teaching thing with great humility because um, i'm very aware i'm not an expert but a, a friend um said to me well do you know what it's, it's about passing on your own experiences and your own things that you've learned along the way and if you can do or say something that helps someone not make the same mistakes or get there a bit quicker with different um things then that that's your your role and i think also to um like all you can do is say look this is how i do it but also you can suggest well have you thought about this and mm -hmm. um maybe turn people on to other writers and artists that um that that might um speak to the to the person you know 
Absolutely. I think that's crucial because uh, you're going to be dealing with a lot of people in, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, which is the best age for thinking you know everything. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll be going in very humble and with all this humility, like you talked about, uh, but you'll be sort of probably faced with a lot of crossed arms like, nah, I know everything already. <laughs> Yeah, well, I have a son of 20, so... <laughs> <laughs> you know all about this. <laughs> so I mentioned this amazing back catalogue that you've amassed over your career. I'm wondering if you have any personal favourites that maybe pop out anytime it goes to, you know, put together, you know, a set. Maybe you're on tour and you have mm. to pick out sort of, you know, your personal greatest hits to play at a live show. What, what songs or maybe even whole albums sort of stick out for you and are those personal favourites? And do they differ from what the audience expect them to be, do you well, think? Well, it, it is a weird thing about music. Uh, I, I often thought this, that like when people put on a play, um, you don't get people in the audience shouting, no, do that line from your last play. <laughs> um, you know, like I'm, I'm sure that would be a bit weird. And, you know, the, people buy into this thing in the theatre where, right, this is a brand new story. Mm. But, I, and I'm the same, when you go to a gig, the, you get excited when you hear the song that you recognize or various ones from an album that you particularly listen to a lot. So I, I do, it, it would do th songs that maybe people, um, you know, they know them. <laughs> it, it, it would be um, suicide on stage, if, <laughs> you know, in, in some contexts, if, if you didn't do that. And it, it is an incredible thing when you hear people singing your songs or, um, you know, knowing that maybe, like you said, you know, that a particular album was part of, you know, a soundtrack to someone growing up or whatever. Um, yeah, so, I'm throwing the chair in the air if you don't play free. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, I think there, there are little kind of ones on, on, so, on albums, on different albums that I really like. But the other weird thing is that... Um, you know, these songs are photographs from different time in your life. And mm. some feel strange to sing now. You know, it's like looking at a haircut you used to have and thinking, oh my goodness, I can't believe I I looked like that, you know. and Our listeners are saying, you've had the same dreadlocks <laughs> for all these years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean? It, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. looking back in fashion and thinking, mm. oh, was I really wearing that? And, and songs are a bit like that as well. You kind of, um, some... Yeah, and you feel I feel like a different person in a lot of ways, and and when you sing this, a song, you have to kind of relive what you were feeling when you wrote it. So that that can be weird. And um, I remember when I was touring a huge amount. Um, you, you know, you're singing these songs night after night after night, and and uh, they become like subconscious mantras to you. You know, you, you know, you don't realize. So there's. A few songs I'm really happy not to not to sing very often. <laughs> Can you name and shame? No, well, just I guess you know things that you're going through in your life that are maybe difficult, and yeah, I don't particularly want to keep going over that again and again. Uh -huh. So for that reason as well, I think the you know these project things have been really good for me just to as a way of singing about other things and other people's experiences. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you never answered my question. What's your, what's, what's maybe give us like two or three songs that you're really delighted to dig out of the, the back catalogue? Well, the Under the Dark Cloth album, I really love um, that. The, the songs that are on that, I, I, I love just 
so much about it in the, the recording with the RT concert orchestra. Yeah. Um, that was wonderful. Um, so, uh, songs from the Deep Forest, I, 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 those songs feel like very old friends, you know, and, and yeah. just because they were the ones that I was when I was touring a lot. And um, yeah, and I suppose the, the most recent record as well, Look Out Machines, there'd be songs in that, um, like Tweed Coats, um, for example. Um, I love This Is All That Matters from Under the Dark Cloth. And, but it, yeah, ask me on a different day and I'll say different things. Do you, do you find that changes? Like some, sometimes you play a show and maybe you're really feeling a song, but the next night it's just not there. Is it that sort of random or chance operation each time you get on stage? Yeah, when, when I'm playing on my own, I would I always change the set and um, kind of explore different things. There, there are definitely some songs and albums where I, I can't remember how to play them and I, I need to <laughs> need to seriously practice them. Um, can I talk about this weekend uh, as an oh, example? Well, well, we so, totally buried the lead because we talked about your artist in residency yeah. at the Lyric, but you're actually playing a couple of shows this weekend at yeah. the Lyric, Friday night, Saturday night. And Sunday night. They're yeah. all sold out, listeners, so sorry. But if you can manage to beg, borrow, or steal a <laughs> ticket, by all means, queue out the door. What is your plan for this little three-night stint? Well, um, it was to give an example of, of the kind of thing I like to do and also um, that it is a chance to explore some different things. The first night is going to be uh, songs that I've written, um, particularly for theatre things. So it'll be Huckleberry Finn, Gulliver's Travels, Mother Courage, and then other songs that have maybe been inspired by other people's writings. Um, so we'll be doing one of the Michael Longley ones. Um, Brilliant. Um, and different ones inspired by books, basically. Um, so for your literary crowd that night? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the Saturday night's um, going to be looking at and exploring the, the songs and poems of Ivor Cutler, who was this great uh, eccentric and absurdist and uh, poet um, and also uh, old sheet music. So that, that was something I've been able to do uh, during the course of this year's residency. I um, did a tour the, for a few months at the beginning of the year where um, I'd looked at old sheet music and, and of which there's, you know, just so much out there and charity yeah. shops and people have been giving them to me as well, which is wonderful. Um, but finding maybe songs that I'd never heard and Kind of learning them from that, that and and um, looking at those. So that's the Saturday night, and then the Sunday night, I've been collaborating with a, a traditional band from Belfast called Olid. Right. Uh, amazing musicians, and we've written a, a suite of songs called Belfast Suite, and that was based on. There's an amazing collection of old texts in Central Library called uh, the Francis J. Bigger Collection, and we we kind of delved into that and have set some of those texts to, to new music. Um, so yeah, that, that's forcing me to practice. And, that's and, hectic, uh, Peter. Yeah, yeah. So you've got uh, three separate whole set, three completely different sets. I mean, maybe you'll put three freewheel out on every night. I don't know. I don't think but, it's in any of them actually. What? So yeah, what? Yeah. I'm not coming. Um, <laughs> so you, it's three whole completely entirely different sets that you have to learn. Then for oh, I suppose you have kind of been practicing before yes, we've had this chat. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. But the. Uh, there'll be some more this week, I think. Um, but yeah, and no, so many collaborators in as well. So it's a different load in each day. Yeah, so the first night's with Ben Castle, who plays clarinet and saxophone with me, and an uh, amazing pedal steel player called CJ Hillman. 
um, who would mainly play with Billy Bragg, among lots of others. Mm. Um, then the Saturday nights with, um, I met a guy a few years ago, uh, he's, a, he's a singer in a band called The Future Heads, um, a guy called Barry Hyde. And I love The Future Heads. Well, Barry's coming over for Saturday and he's a big Ivor Cup fan Can I come as well. on Saturday then? <laughs> we'll try and make it happen. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and then Sundays, Donald O'Connor and fiddle, John McSherry and pipes and whistles, and Sean O'Graham on guitar. So brilliant. Uh, and I, I actually really love, um, I mean, I, I enjoy playing solo, but it, it, it's a delight to play um, with these guys on stage because, yeah, it's, I love that um, the camaraderie, the, the playing off each other, mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, it feels like moral support as well. When you're up there, you're kind of going, okay, I'm not just in this in myself. You, know, you always manage to surround yourself with brilliantly talented musicians. Is that just been meeting people, you know, on the road as you've been going along yeah. or are these chance meetings? Yeah, it, I'm more inclined than ever to kind of go with my gut feeling. If um, I feel sometimes like a new project or someone I'd like to work with, it's, it's just like this little tug mm -hmm. in my stomach going mm, this this could be interesting and that that's been the way it, it's been with these different people that i've met and a great songwriter uh, from northern ireland called juliet turner mm -hmm. um who i toured with um years ago uh, when i was starting and he's amazing um i remember her saying once uh that she always surrounded herself with people that are better than her. And <laughs> I took definitely took that on board because, yeah, it definitely forces you to up your game. And, yeah, it's just delightful to play with them. Because you had a real uh, strong backline, uh, like I said, for those like Empire shows. With, was that Ben on clarinet then too? Yeah, yeah. And Chip. And uh, I think the guys from Amazing Pilots. Yeah, Paul were, and Phil. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that, that was always a great band. Yeah. And so... I guess you've just sort of opened up a little bit more um, to to working with sort of new people for every different project now. Yeah, well, a lot of those guys be off. Like Paul lives in Berlin, so yeah. we, um, we do some shows together when we can. Ben's in Dublin, Chips in Wales, um, Simon Little, who um, play upright bass with me. Oh, and yeah. Plays with Divine Comedy. He lives in London. So, um, yeah, it, 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 I love playing with him when I get a chance to. Oh yeah, and going back to the Future Heads and Barry, one of the best gigs I ever saw in Belfast was those guys doing their a cappella folk songs at the Mac. We had that. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. What was that rant that album they brought out, which was all like old English folk, but sung by a post-punk band. Yeah, and there was a mixture. There was, um, uh, what do you call it, a Sparks song as well. And, oh, and yes, yes. Various ones, but um, yeah, no, I, I actually booked them for that show. Oh, was that part <laughs> the, of your yeah, residency? Thing, yeah, yeah the, the Mac. Oh, um, and I actually, I took part in that as well. I'm just remembering You did, now, you did. Because um, that was, so you were resident at the Mac and you booked sort of a, a whole week-long series of gigs. And right. part of that was you playing, but part of it also tied in with their exhibition with an artist called Joanna Billing. That's right, where and, there were a whole, maybe 20 different, Act did the same song called You Don't Love Me Yet, a song yeah. by Rocky Erickson from what's 13th Floor Elevators was his band, right? But you're remembering more than I, than <laughs> I there. Uh, I just knew it was like this kind of strange psychedelic country song or something. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the, it was like some it was a mixture between like a installation performance art and it was like an all day gig. performance on a Saturday. And I think actually I wasn't really properly booked 
to play it, but you bumped into me like a two days before. It was like, John, do you want to do this gig on Saturday? Uh, <laughs> Playing like, this song. And I was like, aye, why not? And uh, I arrived pretty much and just went immediately on stage because I didn't know what time I was meant to turn up at. And then with like Stuart Campbell from the Max, like, John, get in here. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was a really strange concept that took me a while to get my head around. Uh, it was Stuart and, and Hugh um, suggested that we, we do this. Um, but I actually really loved it in the end. I, I never thought hearing the same song 20 times or something, it, it, one after the other, would be so much fun. But everyone brought like such a different reading to it yeah. and interpretation. Uh, and yeah, it was it was very, very interesting. Yes, and it, it was the artist project, that artist, uh, Joanna Billing, and she tours the world doing this where she gets local musicians at yeah. each different stop to cover the song whether that's in sort of like a large orchestral setting yeah. or a large choir or getting local bands to do it and that's how we did it yeah. at the mac and there's a couple of recordings i think like they, girls they names did well. it. yeah there's a film floating about i think probably yeah. about youtube the girls names did it and uh who else played that well you did it obviously yeah ursula burns ursula burns it, um claire hall did it yeah there were loads of people um and then uh, what a time to be alive eh? 2000 11-ish, 12-ish. I can't remember even, but I remember upstairs, uh, also there was a room you could go in and put in the videos from the different cities around the yeah, world. Yeah, see that everyone this. else's versions. Yeah, that was great. I, I, that, that, no, that'd be hardcore to sit through all of that. So, uh, <laughs> um, But yeah, it was, it was really good experience. So we know what to expect this weekend. Mm. It's three different. Do, do the audiences for each night know that they're getting a specifically different performance? I think so, but uh, I know some people are going to all three. and The hardcore. Yeah, uh, the hardcore. And uh, I think some people have bought tickets maybe before knowing what it was they yeah. bought for. Um, so, but they'll still be delighted. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> it, we're coming up to that festive time of year. Is there is there going to be any holiday music? Any Christmas music? Um, oh, I should say on the, on the Saturday night, um, my friend John Ellis is going to be DJing with gramophones as well, and there might cool. be a few Christmas records um, on Very old seventy eights and that. Actually, I got a compilation recently from that uh, record label Dust Digital. Oh, right. Um, and they do all these like reissues of, you know, Appalachian folk music from America and all this old time American music all gathered from 78s. And it's, I think it's called like When Will You Be Home or something. It's, okay. it's a Christmas comp right. um, of like 20, like sort of either field recordings of all these like oldie American Christmas tunes before commercialism set in, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess commercialism set in with the 78 record. It was all downhill from there. Yeah, it, was, when it became a commodity. Yeah, yeah, but there's all these like the Sacred Harp ones, you know, the, the, you know, the chanting music. Yes. It's, it's amazing. Absolutely brilliant. I'll yeah, have to give you a wee loan of it. That's really, yeah. Um, love it. It, it's, I remember going to one of those uh, things. Is that where they gesture with their hands? And yes, I'm shaking a, my hand about it and the listeners can't hear. I think they're, they're usually sat in sort of a square shape around yeah. a central leader. And the leader does change. It's quite um, democratic. But the hand movements so mean different the, things. The hand movements yeah. mean sort of the timing, but also certain, like, I think maybe it's associated with shape note singing. Right. You know, where the hand gestures mean different, like either vowel sounds or, or words. But... Uh, everyone has the the book, the Sacred Heart book, yeah. And it's it's a certain amount of songs. Like it's a it's a it's a widely published book, but it's only sold by the one person, sort of thing. You okay. know. I think I've, I think I've seen that once, and it was really odd. It's so to loud watch. as well because yeah. they're all like focused on the center of the room. So if you're standing in the middle, it must be like nearly like a euphoric like wall of sound. Imagine being tied to a chair in the middle. With- <laughs> 
<laughs> be quite something. Don't tell Donald Trump about that. <laughs> That'll be the new torture mechanism. Oh, <laughs> do you enjoy the holiday time of year for music or do you sort of like tune out of all that? I think there's one particular compilation CD that um, I try to uh, phase out when you go into shops. Yeah. Um, I think we know the kind of songs that are on that one. Uh, <laughs> but there's so many great, like I love Sifian Stevens. Um, yeah box set of, of Christmas ones and I know I think Low are playing tonight at the Empire are they? They and, are yeah, yeah Monday night yeah uh -huh. I think I have their Christmas album um so there's a there's a lot of really good stuff but I occasionally like I, I like hearing brass bands play I was walking through mm. Victoria Square the other day and, and there was brass band playing Christmas carols I really like that um but there's a great tonality to a brass band there's something about when yeah. there's all those all those harmonies that they do and they all sort of blend together. It's like a real wash of sound. And it leaves something to the imagination as well. You can fill in the words at your own leisure, but I think it's maybe the Mariah Carey, that's whatever CD that is, that I I would rather eat my teeth. <laughs> well, actually, the next episode of The Jewel Case, now hopefully this comes off, but I'm going to get a couple of... Uh, local musicians, some of uh, some of whom you'll know okay. and be friendly with. But I'm going to get a couple of local musicians uh, to come together and we'll decide once and for all what the best Christmas song ever is. So that'll be the Christmas special of the Jill Kiss. Yeah. Listen out for that next week. Excellent. What do you listen to when you're just not working and just say like driving or chilling out? Are you, do you listen to music? Do you listen to podcasts, radio? Yeah. What do you, what do you clean your ears out with? I, I kind of like... Um... I like Radio 4, actually. Um, I like the comedy. The um, Oh, really? Yeah, the I, I, Melvin Bragg, I like in the morning. I like Women's Hour. Women's Hour. <laughs> really? Yeah, I do. Um, I like Lyric FM. Uh -huh. um, oh, it's great. Listen to that. And um, I love John Kelly Ensemble. I think that program mm. is really great because he would play just a, such a weird mixture oh, of stuff. Oh, he's brilliant, yeah. Um, and what else? So yeah, a radio sometimes. guy, radio's not dead. No, I, I I absolutely love radio, actually. Um, yeah, recently, yeah, I've been listening to a lot of seventy hits recently. I've been kind of recording like little podcasty things um, where I'm playing the seventy hits and maybe telling stories about them. And um, oh, brilliant! Yeah, so are they out? Can people hear those? Um, no. Not yet. <laughs> Are these like private mixtapes or? Yeah, well, they're for, um, I, I do a, a thing, you're talking about the, your core fan base that um, there would be people, I, think, I do a thing called Advocate, which people can oh, become yes. patrons um, for as little as a pound a month. <laughs> and So what, people can subscribe to you yeah, for a yeah. pound a month? Yeah. Oh, plug this. How do yes. people get involved? Well, I think that it's on the website, but uh, it's just Advocate. Um or you can yeah contact through the website and find out about it. But yeah, and there's different kind of price points. And and one of the things is you get this um, podcast of the the Gramophone Club. Um, oh, brilliant! And yeah. this is your seventy eight collection. Yeah. And so yeah. you're doing kind of like a little playlist and a wee chat about the yeah, sort of the context it. of the music. Or? Yes, and the maybe story behind it or the artist or the history of it or whatever. That's so good. And how have you sort of amassed that? Is that, is, is that how you buy music now? Do you just delve into the sort of the past? It, it, it's weird. I would buy seventy eights, buy occasional vinyl, and I do stream a lot of stuff. Um, it's just really, really handy and a great way to yeah. to check out music that y you hear about and you know 
Um, so yeah, it seems to be the way of it now, actually, you know, a lot of people would stream stuff and maybe buy the, the, the vinyl of, of the stuff that they're really into or something, but we've just um, heard that like vinyl sales have overtaken digital sales, um, for the first time. But um, a guy was telling me the other day that, that part of that's because far few people are downloading. It's more streaming. Yeah. So the, you know, and a lot of that's free. So, um, so I wonder how the subscriptions to the streaming services stack up with all that. Yeah, it is it's, very interesting and feels like we're on the verge of maybe some sustained new way of listening to music. But um, yeah. Well, I feel like your career, the timing of it has really coincided with this monumental shift in how we think about copyright music distribution and I mean that's we, we talked about earlier your your original was like a Kickstarter pledge campaign where people got your album after you moved away from the me- yeah. the, the, the record label yeah. how have you found navigating that do you enjoy the challenge of it and working it out as you go I, I, I don't know I, I find it uncomfortable the um, <laughs> kind of online thing you know okay. where, where you're having to self-promote all the time it feels like and yeah. have this online presence. I find it hard enough to uh, manage normal life and normal interactions, but never mind this whole other layer of, of 24 seven um, thing where, where, you know, you're expected to tell people yeah. everything well, perform, that you're doing. Perform basically, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, yeah. to be performing on Instagram and Snapchat and all of that yeah. constantly. I, I see it as a, a necessary evil. I find, I know some people are really, like my kids are, you know, it's second nature to, to do that kind of thing, but I, I, I feel I feel a little bit uncomfortable with it. But, um, but yes, it, it is, the amazing thing is that you can uh, have someone from, you know, I've one, one of the people that uh, is patron is in Tokyo, and uh, others are in America and mm. all, all different countries, you know, that, that um, stay in touch with what you're doing. And, and that's, that is really wonderful. Um, yeah, so I th- I'm definitely on a learning curve with that and working out. I think you have to work out what works for you as an artist and manage your expectations as to what you can do then in the light of that. I imagine um, it's it's just like soul sucking because so many of my friends are artists or musicians. And, you know, if they, if I don't get my Instagram updated today, it's a lost day. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, you have yeah. to be constantly promoting to keep up that stream and also you know, the way, the way all of these, um, social media companies work, uh, all the algorithms that they control you basically, like you, you, they're now asking you to pay to promote your posts, but unless you're giving them enough content, you're just going to sink below the radar and they're not going to show your posts to all your fans. Yeah. I mean, I think it is a for me, it's a case of, it's something I really need to, um, improve at, I think, um, but in a way that works for me, you know, I think that's the, that's the thing. Maybe you could get like a little gimmick of things that you post, like, you know, you know, people love those cats and stuff. <laughs> I could dress up or as like a cat. animals. You could just like uh, dress up pictures. as a different animal every day. Oh, you added the costume element. That's even more interesting. <laughs> oh, oh no, what about <laughs> or faces on things? You know, like you see faces on taps and things like that. Yeah, do that. yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so you've got the you've you've got the Huckleberry Finn demos handed in today. That hopefully is going to be in the works next year and potentially a performance yeah. in what 2018. Yeah. What other projects? And oh, with Michael Longley, we've already talked mm-hmm. about that too. Any other sort of ideas brewing underneath? Um, I'd like to do more theatre. 
Yeah. Um, I'd like to, um, I'd like to collaborate more again with Andrew. Um, that's been a really uh, enjoyable process working with him. Um, we're, I'm going to be recording an album with Olid uh, up in Rathfry Island. Um, that's going to be in front of a live audience um, oh, wow. over a couple of nights. So um, that's going to be, become an album. Um, and then they'll be touring the, the Michael Longley stuff in October, November, um, around Ireland and then the UK. Well, is there anything you'd like to plug before we go? Because you're a busy guy. I've got to let you go soon. What about what about your social media handles and stuff like that? Or people just search Duke Special, look at it on your all on your website, right? Yeah, well, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and all of yeah. that. So, um, or else the website DukeSpecial.com. Cool. And I like this advocate idea. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, if, if anyone's interested in becoming a patron, uh, yeah, contact me through the website. It'd be great. Brilliant. Keep you in uh, warm dinners and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Peter Wilson, Duke Special, it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing the outcomes of, of this weekend at the Lyric Theatre. You have been listening to The Jewel Case with me, John Darcy. We'll be back next week with a Christmas special. And also, if you're feeling very, very festive, you can go to the website, thejewelcase.johndarcy.com and check out the very first episode of The Jewel Case, which was a Christmas special, because I actually just started this the last week of December in 2015. So if you want to go back and hear my first first ever episode of the podcast, do that. It's the perfect time of year to do it because it's a Christmas special. And if I do say so myself, it's a very well curated playlist of Christmas songs, all my favorites. So um, from me, John Darcy and uh, Peter Wilson today, we've been recording in the Oh Yeah Music Center. Peter, is there a particular song of yours from the back catalog we could play us out with? Punch of a Friend from Oh Pioneer. Night Night.
the burn of a true friend's spark When I'm blind and pride and I won't be bent Though it seems unkind, I'm better for the punch of a friend Though it seems unkind, I'm better for the punch of a friend.